Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. Co-hosts Dr. Reed Hayes of the Loss Prevention Research Council and Tom Meehan of Control Tech discuss a wide range of topics with industry experts, thought leaders, solution providers, and many more. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Take advantage of the advanced video capabilities offered by Bosch to help reduce your shrink risk. Integrate video recordings with point-of-sale data for visual verification of transactions and exception reporting. Use video analytics for immediate notification of important AP-related events, and leverage analytics metadata for fast forensic searches for evidence and to improve merchandising and operations. Learn more about extending your video system beyond simple surveillance in Zones 1-4 through of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at boschsecurity.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Fred Becker, longtime AP executive also at Macy's, at Saks, at Toys R Us. Um, But Fred's been heavily involved with the LPRC for several years now, um, involved in working groups on product protection and and looking at other issues, but most notably um, helping us drive and organize and make LPRC impact what I believe it is today. And that is, uh, it's an elite conference for asset protection decision makers, practitioners, uh, as well as the solution partners and others, law enforcement. Um, So Fred, if I could, welcome to Crime Science, the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Reed. All right. So here we are. We're in an interesting time. I, we, uh, and Fred and I are going to talk about two disparate or separate things today. One, we're going to talk about LPRC impact. Why, where, how, when. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about Fred's uh, experience right now preparing for um, crises and what he knows and does there. And then how that's paid off. But, but even more critically, what... Uh, Fred and his team have learned and are continuing to learn as they adjust and adapt to protecting assets, uh, including people and places um, during the COVID-19 crisis, and what lessons are learned there um, for other practitioners. And, I, and I've talked to dozens and dozens of practitioners now at this point. The first conversation I had was with Fred a few weeks ago. Um, that oriented me, focused me, and helped me plan all the subsequent uh, cluster calls and other things we've done. So I really appreciate that, Fred. So, um, so with no, no further ado, let's go to and let's talk about impact. Um, how did you start getting involved in impact? Uh, what did that look like? What were you doing? Um, how were you trying to change the conference? Sure. Uh, thanks, Reed. So um, I think I've been involved with impact for the past 13 years or so. Um, started with when I was at Toys R Us and then continued on through. So I started attending uh, Impact Learning about what LPRC does and the research and how um, applying science to our industry problems uh, is is in helping educate the industry is really the most beneficial um, aspect that that, uh, I've been able to get out of it. Uh, So started as a member and participating in different studies, et cetera. Um, And then after, I don't know, a couple of years, I I ended up um, leading one of the uh, working groups um, and participating in some others. Um, And and I think at the time it was a video um, technology working group, video analytics. Um, And then then from there, 
got more involved in, in, in uh, intimately knowing different aspects of it. And, and as I was going to impact conferences, uh, you know, back then it was about 60, 70 folks attending, um, you know, we decided to, uh, I volunteered and, and joined uh, Chris Gillen uh, as, as the leader, but joined the impact planning committee. So what we did is we, let's, we took a, a bunch of retailers, Retail executives, solution provider uh, executives, uh, as well as the LPRC team, and decide: okay, how can we change the aspect of of uh, the impact conference and 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 make it more beneficial to to our members? And um, really, we just took an outside the box uh, approach and looking at it: how do we utilize all the research and and the projects and kind of uh, make more headway uh, th- there with our full team, uh, full membership um, every every year, and talk through that. And also, let's focus on some of the other industry um, challenges out there, and bring in some guest speakers, etc. So, so we kind of changed the format over the years, and it grew. And uh, I think what we did was very successful because uh, we started driving more membership, um, uh, more. Um, proactive uh leaders joining uh and and, and we saw our our uh, uh attendance uh increasing dramatically uh so chris kind of led that group i i helped uh i was part of that uh and then and then i ended up becoming the leader chris um went went off to do other things and i uh took on the role as the um planning leader of the uh, the planning committee leader. So uh, again, you know, continually challenging ourselves uh, to make it bigger and better, um, a more learning experience for our membership, um, which I think we've been, uh, based off feedback, very successful. Uh, You know, at last conference, I think we were approaching 500 participants at impact. So uh, that's kind of like a a history of how we change things from just talking about uh, from an educational perspective to let's drive into the projects to these learning labs, et cetera. We set some parameters that every, there needs to be something for everyone. uh, And everyone needs to, it's, it's a, it's a collaboration of retail, manufacturing, and uh, solution providers to work on these projects and then talk about the learnings. And everyone, one of the requirements is everyone had to walk away from the conference learning something new. So that's kind of helped drive our success over the years. That's that's great update. And, and um, for those that don't recall, you know, Impact, uh, the first iteration was actually what we called Brainstorm. And that was before LPRC was conceived. Uh, much less established in 1995. We had Brainstorm 95, Brainstorm 96 and 97. Uh, Walt Disney World hosted those three brainstorms. Uh, We probably had about 150 executives come in uh, for each of those conferences. They were, we believe, pretty successful, very successful. Um, The format was much different. We had a large open diamond shape that had uh, the VPs of LP, there were a couple AP back then, but it was LP primarily. And they would each bring a number one. Who was their most promotable person? So they would each come in. And we had multiple chains, multiple chains come in. King Rogers was a big leader at that time. Uh, he was the VP at Target, of course. And we also had solution partners. Now, we went from the name vendors to 
solution partners or solution providers because of Brainstorm 95, 6, and 7. And that's really the genesis of moving from vendor to solution provider was that conference went well we did we did kind of they went away and then when lprc was reestablished in 2000 probably around and this is ridiculous we can't remember but around 2003 or 4 uh we started look let's have a, a meeting an annual conference uh where we go through our research we're starting to generate more that's we decided well, let's call it impact and we had probably 50 ish we got to 100 at one point and then it went kind of back down until what fred's talking about when he and Chris and, and uh, some others came in, um, they really helped us rebuild, refocus, and uh, create a much more dynamic format. So thank you, Fred, for all those the contributions. And Fred and his band get back together every year. How many years now have you been the leader, Fred, of uh, Impact Planning Committee? Oh, I want to say about five, Reed. Yeah. <laughs> they really have been the best five impacts out of, what we think are what 16 or 17 um and then that even includes the three brainstorms so let's kind of talk about here and now and going forward um there's a lot of question we've talked about we're going to be doing impact this year in 2020 um may well be the only relatively large uh lpap gathering in the united states this year but fred talk about if you would um 2020 impact conference What's what are we looking at as far as content? And then then we'll talk about logistics a little bit. What are we looking at maybe as content? Sure. Um, well, like, you know, as we've evolved uh, impact and LPRC as a whole over the years, you know, our content has become um, very exciting. I mean, it's 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 just uh, best in class what, what we talk about it at uh, our conference. So, you know, you think about throughout the year. Um, instead of retailers the way doing it the old-fashioned way, right? Each retailer did their own an analysis and testing and um, uh, trying to find solutions, et cetera. And now we're doing this as a collaboration uh, along with uh, the LPRC group and, and the data scientists and, the, and leveraging uh, the university, um, which has been tremendous. Um, we're coming up with some really great uh, projects every year um, that, that, again, looks at some of the industry, the most important um, challenges of our industry. Um, obviously, there, this year, you know, one of the key topics will be the, the current pandemic, right? How do we, how do we, um, how did retail uh, plan for it, um, put put protocols in place, execute, and, and what are our learnings from that? Um, so that'll, you know, that'll be a big part of uh, what impact this year. I know there's a big uh, PRC's um, heading up the, the study on that currently. So that, that'll that be a piece. Um, and then traditionally what we've done is we have, again, the, the bigger main stage type presentations uh, for everyone. Um, some of our, our key uh, informative type sessions um, that usually includes a, a guest speaker talking about something extremely relevant to today. And it, and it may or may not be necessarily be associated with um, data analysis or a project or, or, or whatnot. It could be just what's important for the industry today. Um, so we'll have some of those sessions. Um, and, and like I said, that one of the things that will be included in that would be the, the pandemic uh, and, and, and COVID-19 and what, the, what that means to retail. 
Um, and then also um, looking at, you know, how retail offenders use social media. That's that's um, something that is a of grave concern today. And, and, and looking at how how do we um, go after that challenge as a, as a APLP industry. Um, we'll go. Th- we go through all the research. Um, again, walking. Everyone should walk out of um, our our impact conference, um, contributing and getting involved, etc. Because that's what makes us successful. So certainly, we go through all of those uh, as a group. Um, and the, you know, those are all the bigger main stage presentations, if you will. And then what we've done in the past is we've had learning labs. So that's probably been the most popular piece of it, because um, as you imagine, retail, there's lots of um, different segments within retail, uh, big box, specialty, um, all, all the way down from um, you know department store to um, supply chain to pharmacy. So um, you know, learning labs really helps um, our leaders go and help tackle something that maybe or something they're interested in that's specific to their segment. Uh, so the learning labs, um, you know, we, again, we go through um, some of our best projects uh, that I think would be applicable to and, and provide learning towards most of our membership. Uh, some of those uh, we're looking at this year is, you know, parking lot safety, um, examining the effects of fear of crime on on a consumer. So a lot of it in in recently has been focused on customers and and their um feeling most comfortable coming into into the locations, etc. Um in in-store impact of uh active tech deterrence technology. So we're there's always pilots um being completed on different and new technology. So what what are we piloting this year and um testing and um objectively uh, coming to a conclusion on, on what what worked and what, what didn't. Um, uh, detecting deviance, results of using video analytics to heighten store security, uh, homelessness and impact on, on retail, APLP, um, obviously, and like I said before, probably even more additional studies on, on COVID-19. Uh, and then how does that impact our theft mitigation strategies. So there's the whole safety piece, planning piece um, that that is what we're in now and, and most important, but what happens after? So those are some of the key topics that, you know, we're looking at for this year's impact. Um, obviously, we're, you know, in April and we're still fine tuning what that agenda will look like, but th- those are some of the key projects that are under development now. Yeah, it's good insight. It shows the the uh, breadth and depth of what happens at, a, at one of the LPRC impact conferences, like you said, Fred. And, and uh, you know, when we established LPRC or when the retailers did 20 years ago, there was one project expected per year. And it was radical when Bill Titus, the then chair of the board of advisors, uh, said, you know, guys, I think we can accomplish one per quarter. And uh, so then it grew to where we've gotten as many as uh, 38, I think, completed in a year. So uh, and we are on pace to complete that many or more this year. Um, some have been slowed clearly because we don't have the store access that we need right this minute. But um, so the like you said, Fred, we go through those or you all particularly go through and look at all the projects 
what's going to be the, the have the most uh, the broadest appeal. Uh, what what solution that's come up with or been um, improved or enhanced would apply to most retailers and in a group like the LPRC where you've got 65 to 70 major retail chains, you're talking about uh, from a Dollar General family dollar type style uh, or an AutoZone advanced auto parts type store to um, you know Jared's to uh, Bloomingdale's um, and everywhere in between. And so when you look at all the types of retail formats and merchandise mixes and trading environments and all the things that go into it, um, it's a challenge to, to do the research that's more broadly applicable, but yet definitive enough to, that most of the people walk away with one or more key learnings. And I know that's what you guys do a super job of, and that is looking at, all right, what do we have? What's coming up? Um, what would be the most uh, impactful to present on main stage or in the learning lab breakout sessions or sometimes we put posters out like we do at academic conferences so those are important research projects but may not have as much broad appeal and so we're going to have posters and with a q qr code or whatever so people can get more more information what are some other unique aspects fred i mean you've been to nrf uh nrf protect um, as I have since I've been since it was in RMA back in the day, um, not to compare and contrast in a negative, but what are some of the differences in the style, the feel, uh, how impact flows? Uh, sure. So I, I think the number one thing is, um, you know, or I, I say two, two things is um, the difference would be the application of science um, and, and analytics to the content. Um, you know, we get lots of great sessions at NRF and, and, and RELA and some of the other uh, industry um, conferences. That comes more from experience of a few individuals or, or what a company learned, et cetera, versus this is, you know, you again, utilizing the resources of all the solution providers, manufacturers, and and um, retailers uh, collaborating together in some of these challenges, and then utilizing the data scientists in the university to come up with a scientifically uh, vetted solution, uh, facts and data. So I think that's a big part of it. Is the you know the information, uh, the the collaboration, etc., coming up with great. Conclusions, and then I think the other piece is, is I, I, the feel. The feel is different in that it's a a um, more collaborative effort, a, a more participatory effort. So you know we work hard to try and make sure the sessions are every. You know we 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 review the results, etc. But then we encourage the participation. So um, you know it's everyone's involved. Um, our our learning labs end up being obviously smaller groups because uh, you can pick and choose which ones are most important you can go to uh, attend. Um, but, you know, th it's it's interactive. I think it's, it's, it's a lot more interactive than you'll see in other, other conferences. And that's, you know, by design. So, you know, we get the, the most out of it. Yeah, that's good because I, I really get a lot out of NRF Protect. Uh, always have the same with RELAs. Um, I've been to some excellent FMI conferences uh, in the past, even Retail Council of Canada and the British Retail Consortium and, and, and uh, NACs and others. Um, but like you said, we're not 
designing impact to compete, but rather to engage the membership. And as you said, uh, wherever possible, we try and use a scientific method where we incorporate anecdote and experience and expertise, but we're going to use best available research methods to get to the heart of this. How are we going to understand what's causing this? What are the mechanisms that are causing this this problem, this issue, uh, or in, in this place or across different types of retailers. All right, now let's drill down. Now we have a better understanding. And that could be the research in itself. Uh, now, what are some options to reduce the problem, you know, to make us less vulnerable, to reduce the risk exposure and things like that um, to mitigate? So um, that's been the tradition in history. And like you said, we're, we're blessed in that it's a smaller group, I think, in a way, you know, we've we've been topping out around 400 or so uh, executives, um, and so we don't have to have quite as large a venue. And having it at the University of Florida does a couple things. And the board, you all on the board and elsewhere, keep voting to have it there because it's not a normal uh, conference venue or a hotel environment. That and so they like the you guys seem to like that change that you're in this academic environment you're on this beautiful you know, whatever division one research one campus and your, your, the students are there wearing their lab coats and directing people, you know, where to go to, and we have that sort of academic university feel, um, there, uh, and, and play on the collegial part. And then we can have co-locate the different learning labs and the main stage and the, um, of course the experience center that we have where the solution partners get in there and, and, and display and talk about, some of their solutions, but tied into the framework of five zones of influence and so on. So um, that's what we've tried to do. But what we're trying to do is just basically engage everybody and leverage the, help them leverage all the research that's going on with and for them um, together. So what else does, uh, does the listener need to know, Fred, about 2020 impact, how to learn more, um, get engaged and participate? What's impact 2020 going to look like? Well, so I'll answer that by saying, you know, we're we're working through what we think that 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 will be, right? So I don't know that anybody yet not knows quite what the environment will be uh, in June or August or uh, September, October this year. So, you know, we're certainly planning for. Um, different contingencies uh, of what we think impact will look like. Um, I think one of the most important uh, things to communicate is that we will have impact, right? Um, whether we're, we're all together in, in uh, Gainesville later this year, um, which will be dependent upon the environment, uh, which will be dependent upon what our membership um, it, preferences are in terms of travel, that type of thing, um, or whether a virtual uh, perspective. We are planning on on, um, having the ability to have a virtual conference this year where, you know, we're still, we're we're determined to get the content um, out to our membership. Um, And and those things I talked about earlier, you know, we're, we're, we're going to make sure that that happens, right? So, you know, maybe a, a virtual component of it uh, where we have uh, live sessions um, that walks through all of these pieces um, it, and, and uh, provides it in a, in a, a, a 
fun, innovative uh, type of format. So, um, you know, looking forward to the team has been looking forward to uh, figuring that piece out and, and, and how that conference, uh, how our how our impact conference this year uh, flows. Fantastic. So it sounds like the way you were describing, Fred, it really the 2020 impact could range. It could be totally digital. It could be partially digital and partially physical. Regardless, all of the 12 sessions will be digital. Um, and then I guess it sounds like, as you said, nobody knows what's going to happen next week, much less uh, that first week in October when impact 2020 is. Um, and nobody knows what, how the condition of budgets and travel and all those things that are happening. So, but regardless, we're going to have a fantastic 2020 impact. Anything else we need to know about impact, Fred? No, I, I would just say, you know, um, stay tuned. You know, we'll be communicating um, and marketing, you know, what our, our plans are. But, um, you know, you know, as, as we continue throughout the year, uh, we want our membership to continue to participate in the working groups. Um, and we want to, um, you know, prepare for a uh, top-notch conference, regardless of uh, – uh, the the format. So no, looking forward to Impact 2020. Excellent. I, I don't let you know, and the listeners know too, Fred. By the way, um, uh, that the research science team here that are facilitating in Diego the uh, working group calls um, are running at record high numbers. So you know, and I think we all can relate and hear a lot about. Well, I've never been busier, but I've never had more free time and uh, more ability to learn and grow. Um, my, myself, my capabilities. And so it is interesting how uh, rapidly the, and how much involvement we've seen the, rap, the you know, that grow with each of the working groups. Um, and I know that they're all planning something for impact, all of the uh, seven working groups. Um, let's switch gears if we could. We're all excited about uh, 2020 impact in Gainesville the first week in October. Uh, that information will all be coming out. It'll be on our website. It, it's uh, there. You'll see, of course, a lot of social media play on LinkedIn, and and uh, you'll see it on Facebook, and you'll see it on Twitter, uh, and so forth. Um, and then uh, all the members out there, of course, beginning seeing the LPRC eConnect newsletter and, and and elsewhere. So we'd love to get any and everybody involved. This is a way to get the LPRC research and results community um, at large together and grow and go together using systematic research. Um, so switching gears, Fred, um, if we could, let's talk a little bit about, I started off the podcast saying that you and I talked for a while and you were sharing the challenges and you were just getting into what in the world was going on. You were dealing with the effects on NYPD and um, the, the effects on your team and the effects, effects on everything else that was happening. So maybe we can go through and, you know, what are some of the things that you learned and how you, how you prepared before for a threat and, uh, and so on? Let's start at the beginning if we could. Sure. Um, so what, what I'll do is I'll talk a little bit about some of the things that, uh, you know, we encountered here and, and also, you know, I, I do consistently talk to some of my peers in the industry. So this won't be a Bloomingdale's uh, disc focused discussion. This will be more of you know, what I've learned through uh, experience uh, personally here in, in, in um, today's environment, as well as uh, some of the, some of my peers and what they, some of the challenges they've seen, et cetera. So, um, you know, first it is a unique time, right? So, you know, 
so many retailers are right now in, in closure. There, uh, some of them have associates furloughed. Um, st- store cities are. are quiet. There's there's no one on the streets. There's certainly um, a, a unique environment today. So I don't know that um, a lot of planning was in place for this specific scenario, a pandemic hitting a city and closing down a full country. So there's a whole litany of, of um, issues that arose just from that, that from a preparation standpoint. Uh, I don't know how many others, but the, the retailers I've spoken to were not prepared necessarily to close all stores for an extended period of time. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of challenges just associated with that, right? How do you communicate? And then you add on to that, uh, you know, the furlough process and the and, and, um, or associates not working. And how do you how do you work in that environment, right? So there's there was a whole list of um, challenges uh, with those from you know uh, folks that don't normally know how to utilize an alarm system in a store that have to go and check on the store, um, have to go and you know you know um, go through um, alarm response training, you know things like that. That um, when you look at it, it's not an isolated incident. This is across. Uh, a nation. So uh, lots of challenges from that perspective. Um, when you look at it from a uh, communication perspective, you know, all the plans that you had in place from an emergency response platform, emergency communication, all of those things, you know, there, there weren't necessarily always scenarios for this specific uh, challenge we have out there. And then, again, you layer on uh, individuals who aren't working or are out sick or are furloughed, then, all right, now you have to modify all those lists, right, because those folks aren't available. So that was some of the preparation and or first initial reactions to uh, this this status status of uh, of the business. That's that's really interesting insight. Like you said, you could do all the plan, thinking, reading, planning, tabletop exercise uh, facilitation that you'd like, but the idea that something like this would shut everything down across the entire globe at one time or in a somewhat staggered way wasn't foreseen. You know, the handling, right. yeah, uh, a sewer yeah, line yet- breaks. It's different. You look at it, you know, a lot of plans are more regional. You know, if you have a hurricane uh, hits a certain part of the country, you react to those store closures and you have those preparation plans. But, you know, um, just as an example, video review, you know, usually you have a command center and you need to pull up those cameras and those stores and that part of the country, et cetera. Well, now, now if you have all your stores closed, you know, how do you handle that? Now you have, you know, when you have more people working from home, your redundancy of your, your, your backup systems are, are changing, right? So you need to adapt to those types of things. You know, you mentioned law enforcement before. We, you know, obviously we all rely heavily on law enforcement to assist us in emergency situations, but, you know, how are they being impacted? So, you know, I've had conversations uh, with the, you know, well, as an example with the NYPD. So they're right now 20% of their staff is out, um, out sick. They're not available. And then, you know, they've also had some deaths and, and unfortunately in, in their ranks. Um, and, you know, 
will we will they be available if if we need them you know sm- certainly um there's it's a big organization but how does that impact even a smaller jurisdiction um and their ability to respond to a store or assist when necessary so all things that you know i don't know that was always considered in terms of not having the that resource available so that's you know another example of um how these times are are different and we need to think differently how about your team how do you um you know we don't want to get into anything too sensitive obviously but how do you reorg your team um given uh you know there's some other infrastructure closures or or changes subway for example um uber and cabs and things but but then how do you man and protect the assets uh, while protecting your team? And, and if a team member goes down, you mentioned NYPD having s- several thousand or we know several thousand are out sick and that they've even now had some fatalities in different ways, even sworn, sworn officers. Um, what's that look like for you, Fred, and what you all are doing and what you're hearing as you closely coordinate, as you said, with other New York-based retailers? Sure. I mean, there's absolutely a human resource aspect of this, you know, um, making sure, you know, your community, what's your communication plan with your team? Um, how are you keeping them informed, um, informed if they're working, if, if they're not working, um, they, you know, everyone today becomes more generalist because, you know, you have a smaller group and, you know, you're taking on more responsibilities to, you know, maintain, um, the environment, whether it's, you know, physical or it's, um, you know, dealing with systems or, or other, other people. So, um, you, managing that piece is become even greater in terms of training, et cetera. And then, you know, what if someone gets ill? What What is the process? When can they come back to work? So all those types of things in today's environment uh, is, is new and, and important in, in terms of uh, dealing with a pandemic. Uh, another piece is, you know, if, if you have folks working in the store, because there's some buildings uh, like a, you know, some of the big flagships that um, – still need to be maintained because they're not meant to be shut down for extended periods. So you have people working in stores to keep the, you know, essential staff working. Um, how do you keep them safe? Uh, you know, creating or enforcing social distancing, using PPE, you know, uh, personal protective equipment, um, sanitizing, keeping the area sanitized. So those are all the new new priorities that, you know, we're dealing with today in, in terms of, you know, um, and, and probably will be a go forward in, in uh, the, what, what, what's, I guess, termed as the new normal, right? That's something that we will be uh, continuously uh, focusing on. Yeah, you mentioned, of course, PPE and, and, and the looking forward, uh, and we've heard this from, from many where PPE for the supply chain, but now PPE for stores. Um, are you all seeing the same shortages that others are in cleaning supplies and personal protective equipment, uh, Fred? At this point, uh, yes, yeah, we're no different than than anyone else. You know, we do go through and work through our suppliers to get what's needed, etc. I think, you know, we had a good plan. We had um, some some supply that we had in place beforehand uh, as we were initially starting to plan for this um, current environment. So uh, yeah, it's definitely a topic uh, that is, 
important is ensuring that whatever you put out there, whatever the guidelines or requirements are, that you have you have the equipment you need. So um, certainly that is a you know continues to be a priority. Have you noted uh, whether it be at your chain or others, other colleagues you've got that you all are talking regularly with? Um, any changes in theft, fraud, or violence types or um, intensity or locations? Anything significant there, Fred, that you're noting? Uh, sure. So <clears throat> I guess there's there's two ways to look at this, right? There's uh, some retailers that are currently open for business, right? Grocery, uh, pharmacy, uh, uh, et cetera, um, that are completely open and have customers going into locations. And then we have uh, some retailers that um, are limited because of restrictions in terms of like a a curbside pickup type scenario only. And then, you know, we have uh, some that are uh, completely shut for business except for maybe uh, a dot-com fulfillment type role. So, um, the folks that I've spoken to that are open, the, the, what we're seeing is, um, or what they're seeing, I should say, is, is, is increased more in the fraud um, perspective or cash, um, cash theft, uh, those, those types of um, challenges um, from the feedback I've gotten. But I think the other piece is, too, for uh, a retailer like, like mine that's currently closed is what do we expect uh, when we do open, what, what's what's the new environment going to be? And so, lots of discussion around that. And uh, you know, we don't know obviously uh, until we get there. But some of the extenuating factors out there was, you know, was the jurisdiction you're in? Did it have a rise in crime beforehand? Uh, you know, what did the theft? Uh, look like prior. So a jurisdiction like New York City with different law changes and whatnot, there was an uptick. Um, So how does that apply when we open? Um, What do the bad actors, you know, what what are they doing now and and how do we expect them to react when uh, retail is back open, when the country is back open for business? You know, the ORC groups who maybe have not had the ability to go out and and um, make their money, if you will, stealing from retailers, et cetera. What, how are they going to um, react? Are they going to um, be more aggressive? Uh, the other piece, too, is our associates, right? In- internal theft is always 50 or 60% of, of um, shortage, you know, as an industry. Um, at least that those those are the numbers that are widely used. Um, how how is that impacted? Right, associates coming back, uh, are they going to be? Um, uh, are they going to have fina- financial opportunities? Um, are they going to be more desperate? Uh, are they going to be disgruntled because of any actions taken by their organization? And that could be a driver of of increased internal theft. So um, we need to have a plan in place in terms of a, a focus on that. Uh, so those are all topics that are being discussed from a theft mitigation perspective. Um, you know, as we become more customers centric um, in in the new environment, uh, which is the right thing to do, does that increase exposure? Does that increase more of a fraud exposure? Um, Do the bad actors use um, this new environment, you know, as a 
as an opportunity to be more aggressive? Will retailers become more hands-off because someone they're stopping may potentially be COVID-19 positive? Or what if they say they're COVID-19 positive? Do do apprehensions become more hands-off? Do Is there a new process where uh, teams need to wear masks and gloves? And, you know, those are all topics of conversation um, that are that are real in terms of planning for um, the new environment. Yeah, it's, it's a phenomenal and almost mind-boggling, right? The, how are the dynamics going to be changing daily in, in all the different types of retail practices? And you mentioned earlier about um, business as usual versus uh, we're only going to serve out of the front of the location or even via drive-through or drive up, uh, you know, buy online, pick up in store, return. Um, how are all these things, the, the logistics going to flow and the people going to, what is the tasking looking like? Um, all issues that we're trying to tackle here um, and working with you all, as you know, and trying to simulate some of those environments right now and do what we can in that way. Um, Fred, what else, anything else we, we need to know, the listeners need to know about uh, Impact Conference coming up, uh, about uh, planning for and handling a pandemic? You know, I, the only other thing that comes to mind um, is, you know, the safety aspect in, in the new world. You know, I talked about the theft mitigation. You know, what, what is the environment going to be and how do we plan for that? Um, but also the, the safety piece of it. You know, we have we have the CDC recommendations in terms of, um, you know, PPE, um, personal protective equipment and social distancing uh, and sanitization and cleaning and, and all that. But how does that work in, in our retail environment? Right. We have all these other challenges and it won't be business as usual. So, you know, if, if you have an associate entrance and package checks and or people coming in and out, well, how do you socially distance there? Do you change, you know, issuing keys, all those types of checking IDs, all those types of things that you know, um, happen to, you know, create a physical security environment in a location. How do you need to change those types of things? And, um, you know, how do you address fitting rooms and um, all, all those types of lines? Are, you know, are we queuing lines at cash wraps? Uh, are there other things we need to put in place? Um, so those types of safety um, challenges that we have in, in preparing for those are, are just as or probably even more important than, you know, how do we put together a theft mitigation plan? Uh, I should say theft and fraud mitigation plan for uh, when we're back open for business in the new environment. So those are all real important things that I think, you know, as an industry, we need to make sure that um, we're working on and um, and actually having a lot of collaboration around because, you know, if you take a mall environment you know, is it confusing for the customer as they walk around and each retailer has their own different requirements um, and the mall has their requirements, you know, um, in terms of uh, do customers um, wear personal protective equipment? You know, what are what is the standard practice for socially distancing? You know, there almost needs to be more consistency so it's not as confusing um, for our, our customers uh, in the new environment. So those are all things I, I, you know, I, I think we as an industry need to think through and, and plan for. Great call out, especially, well, all of it, but especially at the end there, talking about that collective action, that coordination and consistency. And um, a key point, as you know, Peter is trying to lead a charge on how do we work collectively together 
Um, we can get more done. It's I had not actually thought about your what you just brought up, Fred, though, about reducing the confusion for the customer, which is part of the customer experience. If they have a consistent, understandable experience because everybody's pretty consistent, as you said, or similar on what they're trying to do to protect their people and everybody, the, the shopper as well. So good stuff. Um, I just want to really thank you again today for all your hard work and all your insights around the 2020 LPRC Impact Conference, um, which, by the way, will include, of course, the 2020 version of Strategy At um, for the the top most senior experienced uh, LPAP leaders, senior uh, leaders. And then uh, also, of course, all the, the great insights around how to plan, how to execute during the pandemic, how to coordinate with each other. So thank you very much, Fred, for your for your insights today. Well, thank you, Reed, and uh, everyone have a great day. Everybody stay safe. Thank you for listening to another episode of Crime Science. I want to thank our producer, Kevin Tran. Everybody stay safe. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more Crime Science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.